0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben
1: Eno. What is an interrupted death experience? Are Catholics, let alone priests, supposed to hobnob with the dead? What does afterlife even mean?
2: Hello and welcome to the 817th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben and those flabbergasting questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal and dad, Paul. Uh, today we tackle a most unusual subject with a new guest and we welcome your calls today. The number is 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. You can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com or you can contact us via various social media outlets which would be... uh you know anything in in the realm of twitter instagram or facebook
1: and before we introduce our guest today, we wanted to just acknowledge the, uh, that our, our very dear friend and colleague here at WOON Radio and, uh, and it, literally an institution in, uh, Rhode Island and in New England for, for many, many decades, uh, David W. Balfour, uh, translated on November 6th, uh, just a few days ago. Uh, David was, uh, we could take the whole show just talking about him, and I think we will do a tribute to him at some point uh, soon. David was um, a fixture on Coffee Ann here in the mornings, uh, the oldest uh, continuously uh, broadcast panel show in America. Uh, He was the uh, host of Do You Remember for many years and just uh, an institution in New England tourism, worked with the New England Council, uh, U.S. Army veteran, uh, just you name it, Dave did it. Uh, we just and he was a very dear friend of mine for 40 years back when I fr- first became uh, the youthful editor of the weekly paper here. Uh, what at the time the Lincoln Cumberland Observer, the only the only institution in the area that was Lincoln Cumberland, not Cumberland Lincoln. Mm. <laughs> but um, we just uh, just uh, Godspeed and, and memory eternal to Dave Balfour. Uh, his the funeral will take place on Tuesday, and Ben and I will both be there in Somerset, Massachusetts, and. Uh, Many um, many happy memories and, uh, again, uh, a memory eternal to Dave. And
2: many great lunches. He always knew the best places to go to lunch. He was
1: a connoisseur of the lunch joints. You know, all the sandwich places around He and I ate at least once. And uh, you'd see him uh, in the wee hours of the morning when you, came, when you worked uh, the morning shift here at the station. It and a uh, very
2: brief period.
1: A very brief period. And he'd always get mad at you if he didn't have the coffee made.
2: Oh, yeah. He got very upset with me because yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I forgot to turn on the coffee. Because he knew you all your life since know, you were a baby. Uh, so I
2: mean, he had, he had the right. Yeah, I, I, it was in, it was literally in my job description. We used
1: to go we'd all go to his house and we'd say, well, we're not here to see you, Dave. We want to see your cat, Jamie. Who nah, was a, yes, if there was Jamie. anybody sweeter it was Jay, sweeter than Dave. It was it was Jamie. <laughs> Dave was a close second. Anyway, let, let's uh, let's introduce our guest. Uh, Nathan G. Castle has been a Catholic priest of the Semi-Contemplative Dominican Order since 1979 and has served as a campus minister at Arizona State University, University of California, Riverside, and Stanford University. Uh, the Dominicans, of course, are big here in Rhode Island because they run Providence College. Uh, Father Nathan has prayed for deceased people since childhood and has helped, quote, stuck souls cross over, unquote, for almost 20 years. He has used his first book, uh, And Toto II, The Wizard of Oz as a Spiritual Adventure, I love that title, as the basis for healing of trauma retreats and for spiritual groups and survivors of natural disasters. What an incredible ministry. Mm. He lives in a community of Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson. His latest book is Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. His website, Nathan-Castle.com. And he joins us today via Skype.
2: So, Father Nathan Castle, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. It's great to be with you. Well, it's great to have you with us. So, Father, let's take this uh, step by step, um, especially because my dad over here is beside himself with excitement. Uh, so, take us through what you do uh, when it when it comes to the dead, uh, mediums you work with, and how you got started in it.
0: Well, I got started in it by growing up in a Catholic ho- household that um, taught me that I lived on... Two planes that I had a family on earth and a family in heaven that um, Mary was my mother and Jesus was my brother and so on and so I and and I was taught to pray blessings before I went to sleep my mom taught me how to do that and you could pray blessings to people who uh, were not in the room uh, or maybe not even in this life people who would you could bless people who were alive here and people who had already died and were alive elsewhere so you know, that was just uh, part of the way I was raised as a little Catholic kid. And then uh, later in my life I began having dreams that were contact dreams where a a, a distressed soul came to me wanting uh something. So that's uh where this uh, book comes from.
2: Okay. okay. So let's let's uh sort of dive a little little deeper here. Um so what what is what is the the term death interrupted mean the
1: interrupted death or of,
2: interrupted death yeah. I should say what is the interrupted death experience and is it a term that you trademarked?
0: Um, I've tried trademarking it's the the process isn't finished yet. Um, I was I'm interested in the near death experience. Uh, you, you guys are very familiar with that, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm,
2: yeah. Relatively I, speaking. <laughs>
0: Well, and I'm a member of IONS, the International Association for Near-Death uh, Studies. Mm-hmm. and they're, So they're back all the way to Raymond Moody in the mid-70s, that phrase, near-death experience, has been a shorthand for talking about the experiences people have when they have some medical trauma, heart attack, or something. That sends them into a, a consciousness that's out of their body for some time. Uh, they have experiences that are seemingly inexplicable and then return to their bodies. So the near-death experience, there's already about 40 years or maybe 50 really of, uh, of collected stories around that experience. So I wanted the work that I do to kind of sit next to that and maybe be in dialogue with it.
1: I was very interested in your introductory statement, Father, and, and I remember it myself having grown up as a Catholic kid, that... <laughs> you are taught that there are really two planes that you have everything you said really rang true with me and I'm sure for any uh, traditional Catholic kid it it would and I can see how it would prepare you (coughs) for the point of view that one would have of an afterlife uh, of uh, a spirit world versus, or or at least along with a a material world but that that also is uh, rather spiritualist Uh, but anyway I, I just the reason i'm so fascinated and we had we've had a fascinating conversation before you were booked for the show and and uh it was there are so many points of of um of contact here uh, i was tossed out of the seminary in 1977 just for studying this stuff has the catholic attitude toward mediumistic activity changed so much if not how do you get away with this without your superiors nailing you for it
0: well, to begin with, you weren't thrown out of the love of God, uh you might have been thrown out of a seminary and I'm sorry that happened to you, but
1: um, you know Well maybe the church and I had both had a lucky escape, I don't know.
0: Who knows? But uh you're still uh, a love human being that God brought into existence because God wants you to be uh how to, how do I do what I do? Well, I'm I'm not trying to be a renegade, I'm just trying to be true to my experience and uh the church's primary reason for being is sometimes called the Easter Proclamation. you familiar with the Easter Proclamation?
1: Actually, I'm not. Uh, vaguely. Uh, you've heard of it. Jesus is risen from the dead. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh that? I oh, are oh, you about yeah. some kind of papal encyclical or something. No. Uh, oh, no, of course, he's, yes. Right. Christ is risen, you know.
0: It trips right off the tongue. It's the Easter Proclamation. And, uh, you know, also every Sunday is supposed to be a small Easter. Yep. We're supposed to live Easter consciousness really all all year, all life that um, that we live now and are already eternal. That the, the, that the resurrection is true and real, and not just for Jesus but for everybody. So um, so I, I really feel like the work that I'm doing is the most basic uh, uh, proclamation that the church has to do. That I do it in a way that's uncommon is clear, but um, I like being a Catholic in part because. Uh, we have a long history of being a, a really varied family with some eccentric members, and I'm eccentric, so what?
1: Well. <laughs> well, I certainly relate to that. Uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, the Easter Proclamation when, once you uh, explained. Uh, and uh, again, maybe this is some of my orthodox, uh, post-Catholic orthodox background coming through, but the the whole point of the resurrection is the physicality of Christ. There was, as you know, in the early church, there were all kinds of uh, issues and and things that were later declared heresies and uh, gnosticism, things of this kind. Uh, but it, it when it, once it settled down and the Pauline approach kind of came in, uh, the, the the physicality of the whole thing was really stressed. Uh, Jesus stands there and and t- says to Thomas, "I'm not a ghost," as you know, in so many words. Put your hand into the wound. Sure. You know, uh, so the notion of, of a spiritualist approach to this, to me, doesn't fit with the theology that I learned in this sense, which is may, maybe one of the things that, that, in way back in the 70s, pushed me into a more physical interpretation of what "quote unquote" ghosts are and what the afterlife is, and dense into quantum physics and the multiple worlds theory, uh, rather than um, just just a spiritual uh, approach here. Because, you know, the, the questions, I was always a real pain in the neck questioner in the seminary. I don't think it had anything to do with why I was thrown out, but I, I used to drive them nuts. And they look at me, as, my, my superiors and, and the professors would look at me like they would never been asked these questions before. Okay, Jesus ascended into heaven. Where did he go? Like into space? I mean, you know? and so the idea of parallel worlds kind of made more sense. And, and but I, we're not here to talk about my points of view necessarily, but um, how would you respond to the notion of, What you do versus the physicality that that uh, theology has always that that Christology has always stressed.
0: Well, there has to be a physics for everything. We Dominicans study a lot of metaphysics, and there has to be um, if we really accept the idea that we're an embodied spirit that will live in this body for a certain amount of time and then leave it and live uh, in another form of existence. You're already talking about some sort of physics that's not carbon-based material, and sure. I wouldn't have expressed it that way as a little kid. But that's what I was saying. I was I was taught that already uh, as a little kid that that uh, that I lived in this world that had more than one kind of physics to it.
1: Now, are are you a medium? Because in your book, you work with a medium. Well,
0: I don't use that word because it's kind of radioactive.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Yeah.
0: Uh, um it, it's it's simply a word. Uh, and, it, and it means to be in the middle, you know, like a median in a road. Uh medium is a middle sized cloak. I just bought a medium sized sweater this week. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> yeah, I wish I could fit into a medium sized sweater. Well
0: yeah. uh, uh I I've been working at it and I was yeah. kinda happy the medium and not the large. But uh, to to be and media you're we're communicating via media right now. You have a radio program. You work in the media. You're just in the middle of things, and uh, I believe that that's that's, that's fairly benign. It, it only takes on a, a some sort of a moral tone or good or evil when it's applied, and I don't believe I'm doing anything that. Um, that I'm not the devil's little helper or any such thing. I'm just the the, the servant of the Lord kind of in the middle of things, uh, helping people cross over. Can Maybe i that so your listeners know what we're even talking about at all.
1: Well, I think uh, our listeners do. Uh, they tend to be a very uh, involved and intelligent audience. When you say cross over, cross over to what?
0: Um, well, the the. What started for me was having receiving dreams of violent deaths of people. People coming to me in the night and showing me their violent death. And I knew that I was being called on. I I have to keep a a pager on the nightstand sometimes if it's my turn to go to the hospital, should there be an emergency in the night. And I I began getting uh, dreams that had that character to them, people that were... Disturbed and needed help and were asking me to help them. So I began going into prayer and finding out with, with the help of a prayer partner that I could lend my voice to let them talk only long enough to say what the problem was. Only people who came to me first and uh, I'm a preacher. My voice has been dedicated to the, to the Lord since 1979. And so I just lend it to, um, to souls that need to be able to tell a story for a few minutes to a prayer partner. I always do this work with another uh, person, with a, with a prayer partner. And uh, we just help stuck souls uh, cross over where to. It um, uh, kind of depends. Uh, there, there's there The ones that I deal with are in, usually in some sort of space, and if you ask them to describe it, they haven't put much work into it. They just needed to get somewhere, and so they just kind of pop down somewhere, and... Uh, and they they don't, when I ask them where it is or what it's like, they don't have much to say it's real- really rather nondescript, not at all decorated uh but then a lot of times they also describe something like a health care continuum about having first found themselves in a place where they were were kind of a patient being tended to, and sometimes I feel like i'm I'm in a continuum of care, and I'm like the discharge nurse. They're ready to leave this situation they've been in that's been promoting their healing, and I'm now brought in to help them figure out the next best place to go.
2: So let's get eschatological here. So does this does this mean that these stuck souls are in some sort of purgatory?
0: If you're going to use the the Catholic language, that would be the best word for it. It's still a mystery. All of these words are limited, because words are limited, uh, but yeah, a, a purgation just means to cleanse. And sometimes that's a really apt metaphor. I've, I've met people, one fellow that I've described in my book, uh, died in a horrific traffic accident. And was a, he was very fastidious about his appearance. And when he saw what his body, and especially his face, looked like after his accident, he was just grossed out and appalled and shocked. And part of what he had to do was sort of calm down and regroup and realize there was more to him than um, his corpse. Uh, but it took him a while to do that.
1: All right. Well, before we get any deeper to this, why don't you give us uh, some examples of your cases? And if you if you'd like, you could start with your very first one because that very often can be, at least in my own experience, very uh, almost traumatic when you make that sure. contact. <laughs>
0: And I I, I um, describe uh, that this this guy at the beginning and the prologue of my book his his name is Ray. It's
1: Ray, it, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah the experience was I was asleep. I was on a retreat in northern Arizona with some some friends, parishioners. and in the in the night I had this vivid dream. The beginning of it was my dream material. I was finishing around a round of golf, going into the bar with a priest friend. In inside the bar, there was a silent auction going on, which is still my life. I've been raising money for non-profits my whole life. So it was just one more charitable event with stuff that you see at a silent auction. And on the wall, there's this horrific piece of art. And I pointed it out and said, God, look at that nasty thing. Who in the world would give that to a charity? I moved toward it, and it moved toward me. And then it, it was framed art on the wall, kind of like the way our uh, big screen TVs are. You know, we have them mounted on the wall. Sure. Inside it, it began to move, and it was a young man sitting on the radiator of a car from the late 50s, early 60s, the kind with fins and lots of chrome. He burst into flames and was screaming. He wasn't in a wreck. He was sitting on the radiator with the hood open, with his feet on the bumper, facing away from the car, and he just burst into flames. And I woke up. Um. Well, I knew that I prayed right away. I knew somebody was in in trouble, and I sat up, and I said, I don't know who you are, but my name is Nathan, and here's what I just saw in the morning. I'll do the best I can to figure out how we can help you, and then I went back to sleep. Well, a friend who had spiritual gifts that I knew, she was a prayerful person open to spiritual things and and having experiences that were not common to everyone. Anyway, she was quite willing. We went into prayer. And within a few minutes, we just sat still and waited on the Holy Spirit to give us some direction. She said, um, whoever this is, he really wants to talk with you. Would you mind if I let him do that? Because she had the capacity to do that. I know that gets called mediumship in a lot of places or channeling. I think of it as one of the aspects of what St. Paul calls the gift of prophecy, Hmm. uh, to allow speech. Um, Anyway, we we prayed to St. Michael the Archangel, to Mary, to... Saint Benedict, I mean, I don't just go into the, the, into the spirit world, uh, unguarded. It's not safe. I, I don't think. Uh, but I, I protected my friend and myself and said, okay, well, let's do the best we know how. He came through. His name was Ray. He was, uh, in, in short, he was upset because he had died and he, he was mad because who the hell does he think he has taken me just no my, my life was getting good. He had been taught that the reason people die is because God takes them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He died at 20 years old in a fire, and and he 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 died with the idea that it's God's wish that he dies in a fire. Well, no wonder he didn't want any part of the kingdom of God. Um, but we said, well, how can we help you now? And and he said, well, my wife. He, he died in 1960. This was about the year 2000. His wife was then dying of cancer. And was now in her early 60s and he said I want to greet her when she comes but I can't the way I am so we said well then we need to figure that out don't we we need to figure out what what it is about you that would prevent that and we need to act quickly because cancer has its own schedule and it's not going to wait on you so we got busy and tried to help him figure out what needed to happen in order for him to greet his wife so that's how it all started
1: okay one of the things that um, I'm struck by, uh, particularly his concern about his appearance, is again the physicality of this. Um, and we're told by physicists that, that and again, we're, we're talking, you know, spirit world versus parallel physical worlds. I think is what, you know, maybe six and one half dozen of the other, from your point of view or from or from mine. But the physicists have told us uh n- not all of whom agree with this point of view of course but yeah. some have told us that the, the notion of a spirit uh yeah. particularly with characteristics of, of imagination or, you know retaining memory uh yeah. re- retaining knowledge and is is uh, not possible under our laws of physics but you know something like it might be possible under the laws of physics in parallel realities if if they exist yeah. and uh, another one of the things that um uh, i 'm sort of struck by is the notion of time, and, and you point out uh, in the Ray case in your book that he realized he was outside of time. Now can you talk about that a little
0: it 's funny because because that was my first exposure to to this what became a ministry of mine. I, I began to think well that must, it must be like that for everybody that that once they die they don 't pay attention to time, but he knew what he, he, when I asked him what year he died, he didn 't know right away he had to stop and think. But then he was able to come up with it. Um, I've met other people that um, pay no attention to time whatsoever. One of the persons in my book, um, Cheryl Lynn, uh, paid very close attention to the Winter Olympics when they were in Seoul, Korea. Even though she'd been dead <laughs> for years, she she knew what was going on here. Um, I think it doesn't have to be the afterlife; doesn't have to be one size fits all. I think some people can pay attention to time uh, if they want to, and others uh, not so much.
1: Well, I'm, I'm thinking, man, why don't you show the book uh, yeah. uh, for, uh, for the, those watching the video feed. The, I, I, we sort of go back to 1952 and uh, Einstein's uh, book Relativity, which essentially indicates that time does not exist, it's all simultaneous and we just experience that as a function of our consciousness. And obviously if these, we don't believe in death because at least to our point of view, if these people were dead, they'd be dead. They wouldn't be doing anything. Uh, but the experience of it uh, to us seems to be more parallel worlds where they never died kind of thing. And one of the things that, that both fascinates and bothers me uh, is that we have uh, some of our experiences are so similar uh, I've run into somebody uh, who, you know, in the context of meditation, uh, in, in this case, in an attic <laughs> in uh, Yonkers, New York, when I was in the Orthodox seminary, and obviously telling nobody about this, uh, the fellow said he was uh, had been in a in a plane that was in distress and was was locked in a stone church in Virginia, and by the end of the three day three well, conversation that was spread over several hours over three days. He had totally forgotten about that and was an entirely different person. He was the rector of this Episcopal church, and I could actually hear a door opening and members coming in and talking, and apparently there's going to be choir practice. I mean, what is that? I'd never run into anything like that before. So I think interpretation, uh, which in, in at least from my experience, and it could be entirely wrong, uh, spiritualism could be right, Uh just people living parallel lives in perfectly physical worlds and and many of the laws of physics uh, in which may indicate that they can talk to neighbors. Uh, And so my next question would be, have you run into...
2: Well, we're coming up on our break, actually. Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we take Sorry. our, break. I'm so, I'm so psyched here about this conversation. Why don't we, um, take our bottom of the hour break? Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 995 FM, FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley and our fascinating guest, Father Nathan Castle. will be with you in another moment, so stick with us.
0: Hi, Parrot Heads, this is Joe Callahan, your Mater D in the Tiki Bar, every Tuesday night from 6 to 7, one full hour of nothing but Jimmy Buffett music. The Tiki Bar is brought to you by attorney Bob Lauder and by the Carew
1: Investment Group.
0: ON Radio, O-N Worldwide.
1: Okay, well, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM. Here in New England on a cold and crisp day, and we're talking with a fascinating guest, Father Nathan Castle, OP, a Dominican priest who uh, works with the dead, I guess, and, and, and certainly in that opinion, and he, we respect that, and, and uh, it certainly sounds like a fascinating ministry, but we're just comparing notes here because... Um, i guess i you might say that i've done similar things and and with a, with a kind of from a, another point of view and a different interpretation but uh, again uh, you know we all do the best we can and uh, i think if we we stick with um, what our hearts tell us and what we believe is the work of god then that that's I, I, what matters uh, why don't we start the ha- second half hour here with questions that we have received from a very faithful listener in uh, peter in bogota colombia and uh We'll just ask this, and uh, Ben, you go right ahead, and uh, sure. Father can answer.
2: Okie dokie. Peter writes to us, uh, Can you please ask Father Castle uh, to share the details of the case connected to the Civil War?
0: Yeah, I think that came from, um, Paul, you and I talked about, I think once you asked me how far back in time have, uh, were the deaths of any of the people I've worked with. Sure. You remember that? Yes. Yes. Uh, And I I think I told you that there have been a few that were from the American Civil War, so that's a long time ago. Um, I don't have that one written down, but I remember parts of it that were so sweet. It was um, the dream involved three young soldiers walking down a broken railroad track after the war had ended. At least that's what it felt like. And they were forlorn and just kind of on this long track uh, that seemed to be getting them nowhere. And that's what they showed me. And then when I got to to talk with one of them, uh, or he spoke through me actually. I grew up in Groves, Texas, in Southeast Texas, and uh, I can put on a twang if I need to. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, but it was it, it, the that Southern drawl uh, that you Yankees make fun of. We kind of learned to hide it and, uh, and try not to draw, uh, but. This, they, it, it moved through me very naturally. This young, uh, Confederate soldier was drawing through me and he, that he just said, we're, we we do not know where to go. And over time, um what, what, what we usually end up doing is asking people, well, it looks, you wouldn't be talking with us if you weren't ready to cross over, because that's what we do. So, can you think of anybody that you know who loved you that, uh, you would be, uh, that you would, Welcome somebody that you, that you wouldn't be afraid of, someone who's already died who loves you. That's usually the question that gets them to cross. They have to form that imagination. They have to form the picture in their head of the person they would most like to see, and then that person, it's easy for that person to show up. But in this case, um, before that could even happen, oh my God, there's Abraham Lincoln.
1: Abraham Lincoln, yeah, that's right. I, I remember that from the book.
0: And... uh uh, we, uh, I had to, to, I had, we had to kind of let them know they had died during the war before Lincoln's assassination at the end of the war. And they didn't, they didn't know that he had also died a violent death by gunshot as they had. So that was something they all had in common. They had all died. They had been healthy one minute and dead the next because someone shot them. And he was able to come and they were, I remember them being very deferential to him, you know. The, the way that we southern children are taught to say uh, "yes, sir" and "no, ma'am," mm-hmm. uh, I remember them being very deferential. That even though he was the the president of the opposing side, that he was still a gentleman. And I remember them uh, deciding to go with him. Uh, we didn't. He didn't stay in chat. He was a man on a mission, <laughs> so he came to take them uh, to the next place.
1: Well, uh, you're among friends, Father, because Ben's mom is a Southern belle, so uh, yeah. at least half, anyway. So,
0: half.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah so calling, uh, so I,
0: that has been going on, too.
1: Yeah. Do you ever run into language barriers? Because I have. Uh, and, you know, after 50 years of telling people not to do mediumistic stuff, in my last book, I just came clean and said that, as you did, Father, that I don't consider this mediumistic, it's uh, simply talking to the neighbors, being aware. That's simple as that, I think. But in I any case,
0: need prayer for me—it's all prayer.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's admirable, certainly, and, and probably the right approach. Do you run into language barriers? Do you run into minds that are not human? And and at this, you know, sort of because uh, everything is out there in the multiverse, as we call. And I've run into things that don't even. Communicate verbally, but are perfectly benign, uh, things, uh, most of which I don't even know what to do with. Uh, or is it always humans with you?
0: Uh, I'll, either humans, uh, divine, like, I, because I believe Jesus is, is both human and divine. Yes. I've, I've, I believe I've uh, helped the Creator, whom we often call God the Father, speak, Um and uh, and humans who didn't speak English, we don't have any particular trouble. Saint Dominic, for example, my, my, my father in faith was a Spaniard and the Spanish that he spoke, he died in 1221. So it would be like Beowulf English, you know. Right, right, no. right. Yeah. A Spanish speaking person is speaking the, the, the Spanish in 1221. But when he talked to me, the first time he ever spoke to me, he called me, Mi hijo, mi corazón. You speak any Spanish?
1: Uh, somewhat, yes, but uh, th- that pronunciation is a little different.
0: Mi hijo, mi corazón, my son, my heart. Yeah. Well, he called me that, and I knew enough Spanish to know that was what it was, but it was good that he, he switched to English, because if he kept going, I wouldn't have understood a word he said. Uh, and he did. He was happy to, to speak English. The angels uh don't... They have some sort of way of communicating that is uh, almost instantaneous by thought. And when they use English, they do it, uh, but it's slow and laborious for them, stringing words together in grammatical order, but they can do it, and they will when it's important and they love us anyway. they don't mind uh, you know kind of bending down to our level to, to interact with us, but I don't think I haven't had the experience you're talking about of some other kind of beings other than that
1: Huh, interesting do you well let's let's take the second question from Peter first.
2: Oh Well, I mean, uh, Father, you already sort of answered it, but I guess it's more more in-depth, which is, uh, what have you learned about the environment that the souls are in? Are they merely superimposed on our physical world, but invisible, or are they in a completely different environment?
0: Well, I, I try to be modest about what my experiences are and stick with them. I haven't been given a guided tour of the afterlife. I feel like I look through a peephole. And, and I have this one little space of uh, these souls that died sudden violent deaths who were then stuck. So I see what they show me. And and from that point of view, what I've seen is uh, some of them wanted to, to disappear, but they couldn't, because you can't stop being. You get that? You, you, you can't turn into nothing. But some of them uh, try to go as close to that as it's possible to do, and so they, they try to find a no place, but but it still has some sort of spatial character to it. One guy that is in the book, Hal, he he, he said it's kind of like the DMV. There might be a plastic plant or some poster on the wall, but it, it looks like a place that nobody cared much about. Hmm. That's what he said. Um they, they're, it's, they're in, the ones that I deal with are in a place that was meant to be temporary, and so it's, uh, it doesn't have pictures of family or in, anything beautiful in particular. I think that comes later once they get a chance to settle in. But the people that I deal with were kind of more in, a, in some sort of holding. Hmm.
2: Interesting. Uh, it brings to term the word shale. Or the, yeah, place the, of waiting. Place of waiting. Hebrew, yeah. Any, which is
1: which is mistranslated hell, or at least misunderstood.
2: Well, it's hell is the Shale yeah. and Gehenna, which
1: just right, kind of
2: yeah. lumped into one there. So I have a and you,
0: once, oh, once in a while um, I deal with with people that um, that stayed at the place where they died. Not very often, but once in a while, someone who died in a car crash who stayed in the ditch under the tree. But that's pretty rare. Most of the time. You know, the, the, the thing that seems so uh, predominant is what's in imagination. For example, do either of you guys ever have a crush on someone who you thought was out of your league?
2: I suppose, yeah. I suppose when I was a teenager, yes. Including,
1: <laughs> including Ben's mom, I think. <laughs> you know, I, yeah.
0: yeah, but you, you see how you can form an idea about something, and then that becomes your reality?
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Whether it's true or it isn't, it, it, the, the, the thing that's in imagination drives everything else even if you're the one that made it up and it isn't true to begin with. But if if you form that imaginary space, that's what you continue to operate out of until something changes. And a lot of the people that I'm helping formed some imaginary construct that is confining to them and really not necessarily true, but they stay in it until they're willing to exchange it for something else. And that's what I help them do.
2: Oh, that's in- that's actually kind of interesting, which kind of leads me into my next question, which um, I can't remember if it was if it was Saint Saint Gregory uh, the or Saint Simeon the New Theologian or Saint Gar- Saint Gregory who said something along. It might have been Gregory of Nisa who mm-hmm. said something along the lines of "Beware of phantoms when it comes to prayer," and I remember this very notably in the Philokalia, especially in Volume One. It's like probably it's in I think it's in in the notes there that when you practice prayer and you know you get messages there's a very there's a very big Christian um, virtue which is uh, skepticism so how does how does this this virtue play into your into your sort of
0: experience you mean uh, for myself or how others receive what I speak about
1: yeah both yeah, and, and one might hone that down and, and mention discernment. Yes. One of the gifts, yeah. Well,
0: uh, for myself, uh, when this, when this, when, the, when Ray first came, the story that I was talking about earlier, uh, there was just no doubt in my mind that this was not my psyche bubbling around. And I did what I could in terms of discernment, but there was also a need to act and act promptly. Uh, and so, it's not that much different from the rest of life. Sometimes you can make long, slow, deliberated decisions, and other times you just need to put together the best information you have and act. And Sometimes you do slow prayer, and sometimes you do quick prayer. Well, I've done both, uh, and I've been at this for 20 years, so for myself, I trust the experience because it's proven itself to be trustworthy. Uh, when someone comes to me in the night, I, I... I I always pray to Saint Michael the Archangel, to the Holy Spirit of Truth, to Mary. I have a whole whole heaven full of of helpers, and I just say, help me do the best I can. But I'm I'm going to act and act now. Now as to whether any of your listeners uh, accept what I'm saying is true, that's entirely up to them.
1: Well, no, we we tell them the same thing when we express opinions. Exactly, because we could be wrong. Yeah, of, of uh, course. When it comes to sending people to the light, what terms do you use for that, and is that a wise thing to do? Because, well, go ahead.
0: It isn't really what I do. Um, the I, I think more in terms of love. God mm-hmm. is love, and, and God created light. And uh, uh, anyway, I, I I think in terms of love that God is love, and Death is very ecumenical. Uh, there are a lot of people who will die today that have any God at all. And so it isn't it isn't helpful necessarily to load up the language with God talk. You have to kind of let people guide you the way that you would in any kind of counseling. You're not going to be much good as a counselor if you don't listen to the person that needs to talk. Uh, and they'll guide you. They'll tell you uh, what their thought categories are. And if I'm dealing with someone who was a, a religious believer, I'll go in that direction. If they tell me that they're not, well, then we'll talk more generally. And what, what I've found is if you just say love, can you think of anybody who you know loved you? Uh, and, and then do you understand that you have died and that you're still alive? Well, that's kind of undeniable when you're in the circumstance. You don't have to be a believer or an unbeliever in the afterlife once you're in it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like that. One of the things that... I, and I at least always used, at least in pastoral training in hospitals, uh, I was at the deathbeds of four atheists, and one of them was a doctor. They were terrified. Uh, they, I held their hand, and I just said, just say thank you. Gratitude, yeah. I think, is, is something that, that we, we really, sh- and in situations I've been in such as your own w- with these communications, I, it's, I've stressed gratitude. Uh, one of the most in- interesting and challenging I've always found is dealing with people who have committed suicide. What's your experience mm-hmm. with
0: that? Only a little. I've got a few of them. And when they present, you know, they first come to me in a dream to begin with, and so it has to be somewhat visual. That's kind of the language of dreams is pictures. Uh, and and I never see people put a gun to their head or do something blatantly suicidal. Uh, There, it's more subtle than that, and it sort of dawns on me that oh, this one might have taken their own life. And very often, I think people who do take their life do so in a kind of a an agitated or conflicted state emotionally and mentally. Um, I don't think that's always a a very clear-headed, premeditated act. Sometimes it's just it's overwrought with lots of different emotional states. Yeah. And so, when I have dealt with that. Uh, they, the one thing that, that I, I really believe that all of this, in the end, has to do with truth, which is the motto of the Dominican Order, Veritas. They have to look at the truth of what their life was about. I remember one guy; he's not in the book, but he he was on a he was bringing a a boat into a dock, and he was he was sad enough in his life that he had com- contemplated suicide, and this boat somehow um, was next to something that was in dry dock and there was, they had painted the boat next to the slip he was going into, and they had a great big fan blowing on this boat to get the paint to dry, and somehow a rigging line got caught in this fan, and he realized that his boat was going to be capsized, and he could either jump off and save himself, or go down to the ship. And he decided that, I've been wanting to kill myself anyway, now I could exit without having to be a suicider. <laughs> and so... That's what he did, and he died. But then when he got into the afterlife, he realized that he hadn't really been honest with himself and sort of honest with the universe, and then he needed to own up to the fact that he could have saved himself but opted out. And so it was just a piece of his truth that he had to deal with.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know, we wouldn't even use the term afterlife. It's just life to us, I don't know.
0: But sure. Well, uh, uh, let me uh, interject. Uh, coming back from the break, you talked about uh, talking with the dead or having ministry to the dead, and I don't really call them that because they're not dead. I agree. Uh, they're, yeah. they're people who have died, but they're not dead. Mm. So I actually try to make that distinction.
1: Okay. Right. No, that makes sense. Why don't we give uh, Father a chance to talk about oh, his book yeah. and his website because we're burning up the hour here. Yes, please.
0: All right. Well, the name of the book, as you've mentioned, is Afterlife Interrupted. Uh, it's helping stuck souls crossover. It's available on Amazon as a, a both a, a paper book, an ebook, and um, I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to make it an audio book because one of my most stalwart prayer partners, Laura Dunham, recorded it um, a month before her death. So I enjoy listening to it because she was my prayer partner in a lot of the stories that are in the book, and they're voiced in in her own voice, which now it's a comfort to hear. then my website is my name, Nathan-Castle.com, N-A-T-H-A-N-C-A-S-T-L-E, Nathan-Castle.com.
1: Very good. Okay, uh, there was the issue that I suppose the million-dollar question is, how do you know what you're talking to is what it says it is? Because, uh, you know, it was the the epistle of John, uh, uh, Peter, I should say. Uh, No, it is John. I've seen your moment. Uh, Do not trust every spirit. Or, 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 actually, in um, Greek, do not believe every spirit.
0: Yeah, I've, I've been taught discernment all of my life, and um, I discerned this, and I certainly discerned going out, going public with it, and putting it in a book. Um, no, I don't trust every spirit either. Uh, that's why I surround myself and my prayer partners with uh, all the 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 big guys and gals <laughs> i i would never encourage people to just uh have some sort of seance or something where they just invite any passing spirit that's just dangerous um so yeah discernment is always a part of it but i believe that uh, i've been kept safe i believe i'm doing a holy work um, uh, i believe i'm loved and taken care of and that i've just been given this unusual work to do
2: so this kind of brings up a really interesting question in my mind, which is, do you find that this is sort of a, not not like a, a rebirth, but sort of a, 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 re, a renewal of, of Western Christian mysticism, and not just for you, but for the whole Catholic Church?
0: Well, I think there's, uh, the mystic tradition never is, I mean, what is that anyway? I think the word "mystic" is related to the word uh, "initiate" or "begin." Uh, that that we're always at the beginning of something. The universe is so vast and both knowable and unknowable at the same time. Just as anybody you love is. Do you love somebody? You'd say you know them, don't you? But aren't they also a mystery to you? The people we love can always surprise us and become the next version of themselves that we don't hadn't seen before. So anyway, I don't know. I I I just trust that. Um uh, That the universe is unfolding in lots of new ways, and i 'm old enough to have seen a lot of changes in the Catholic Church and in the and, and in Christianity, a lot of them uh, for the good I think
1: okay uh, one of the uh things i 've always had an issue with uh, in this field is the notion that when, when one <clears throat> dies or whatever you want to call, translates crosses over. They immediately, really some of them, immediately seem to become super beings, you know, knowing everything and being able to help or hurt others. Um, I just, I have a problem with that, because in cases where that appears to be happening, uh, nine times out of ten, I've found them to be parasitical. In other words, not what they said they were, and, uh, you know, and demonic, which, as, as you had said on a, in a phone conversation earlier, sucks all the air out of the room. But, I mean, it is an issue. Uh, I don't know, so what what say you on on that? Um, Well, uh, the word holy comes from the word
0: whole, to to be whole, and you probably know some people, maybe like your friend David, is that his name? uh, Yes,
1: David Balfour from WON here.
0: The way that you both described him, uh, he sounds like a a whole person, Yeah, someone who... Who wasn't very fragmented? Who had an integrity and goodness and wholesomeness? We, uh, uh, I don't know him, but you, you, we know we we sometimes see people who appear to us to be whole in a way that's awesome and admirable, and and you might even want to kind of emulate. Uh, and people who are like that don't talk about it. They don't run around. <laughs> holy people don't talk about how holy they are.
1: Well, that, that's true. How do your uh, priestly colleagues react to what you do?
0: Well, the, the question, the way this usually gets asked is like, why haven't I been punished or silenced <laughs> or
1: something? Listen, I'm wondering, frankly. Well,
0: you know, I have a vow of obedience, uh, but it has to be to someone. It's the, the Catholic Church isn't this just nebulous abstraction. It's people. And I have a vow of obedience to a specific person, who is my Dominican provincial and I went to him before writing the book and said, uh, you know, I believe this is my vocation to speak as loud as I can about this phenomenon to make, make it known. A lot of, a lot of people don't believe, a lot of Catholic people, a lot of Christian people don't really believe they'll survive the, they just don't. Uh, and I felt like it was important for me to say it. My, uh, my provincial wrote a forward in the book saying, this, we believe this is the fruit of Nathan's prayer life, and uh, that's, all the, all that's all the approval I really needed.
1: Interesting. I, I guess uh, nobody gets imprimators anymore. Whenever a priest or member of an order would write a book, they would have to get the uh, uh, seal of approval from their superior. It was called an imprimator, and it was printed I, in, the, I, in the book.
0: I had asked about it, and my superior said, I think uh, a statement from me is sufficient. And so okay. that's that's his decision. But I did I did ask, does this need an imprimatur? Uh, and he he said he conferred with with the theologian and said, no, we believe that 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 we you are our brother, and we know you. And what we're doing is is uh, standing up for you and saying we believe this man to be uh, trustworthy.
1: Well, that's uh, certainly. Th- Maybe you know, I hope I don't come across as jealous, was what happened to me because that was 40 years ago. Have things changed? I mean, obviously, they have in the Latin Church that that, that these things are uh, are more accepted. I mean, I remember working at St. Lawrence State Hospital in the as part of pastoral training at, at Wadham's Hall Seminary in Upstate New York. Uh, down the road from the place, and uh, this little old Catholic lady was telling me that she was a psychic medium, and I said, you, know, you do realize that Catholics aren't supposed to do that. She said, oh, it's fine, you know, because people essentially believe what they want to believe, but have things changed officially, uh, or just not been, I don't know, there's no really official belief about ghosts and stuff in the Catholic Church, very often it's considered demonic, um, have things changed as it become more accepted, even among the established established uh, clergy and uh, the church hierarchy?
0: Well, one thing that I don't have anything to do with is anything with regarding telling the future, and that one in the catechism is quite clear. That That's true. that uh, that involves some sort of fortune telling or something. I don't do anything like that. I haven't asked for tomorrow's lottery numbers. I'm, um, I'm not. Um,
1: <laughs> I was going to ask you. Heaven's sake. Yeah, and
0: I'm not enriching myself. I have a vow of poverty. Uh, um, uh, I'm just, I'm just helping people. And if it gets me into trouble, uh, I will deal with that as it comes along. But, uh, but for right now, I'm, uh, my church troubles have been relatively few. I'm, I'm allowed to do the work that I, and this isn't, you know, we're interviewing, I me. Mean, you're not talking to me about the Mass I said yesterday afternoon or the confessions I heard or any of the normal stuff that anybody sure. else does. You know, this is not like it's my entire life. It's a part of it. It's just the topic of this conversation of this book.
1: Okay. Well, fair enough. Well, Father, we're just about out of time, and uh, why don't you give us your website one more time?
0: Thank you. It's uh, my name, Nathan-Castle.com. Okay, uh, very good.
1: Book,
0: Very soon the book will have a companion uh online course i hope it's out by december the 1st but you could find that on my website
1: okay very good well we'll be in touch off the air i like to think we have a uh, friendship cooking here so uh thank you again for appearing and uh we'll be in touch
0: all right maybe there's another show in it
1: yeah Yeah, maybe 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 several (laughs) okay (laughs) All all right everyone Okay everyone, as the uh, holidays begin, we've wrapped up our 2019 lecture season, and we'll see you on the road next season, beginning so far anyway, with the New England ParaFest and Kid Remain in April.
2: Alrighty, so you can check out our books, uh, including Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard of, and Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. And they're available from online retailers and in some stores, but for autographed copies, please visit the online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com.
1: Uh, also at BehindTheParanormal.com, you can find out more about the show, uh, our many cases over the years, find a link to our other, our main website, which is NewEnglandGhosts.com, the dire need of redesign that's being planned, uh, our public appearances and how to book us, uh, along with at least a list of the eight, of about 850 shows that we've done uh, since 2008, including four and a half years on CBS Radio, uh, in the wake of a cyber attack. Most of the recordings have been uh, taken down. However, uh, they, they are being put out on the basic uh platforms uh, and the 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 major platforms for podcasts such as iTunes Apple I, you know all these different ones uh Spotify etc and uh, you can find them there back to 2011 we're working on getting them all uh reestablished on the net all the recorded shows uh the videos of shows since 2017 you can find here at uh, our station website and that is wo that is onworldwide.com and uh, go to um, ontv on-demand, and you might uh, have to uh, uh, do some scrolling, but you can you can find it. Okay, so, uh, <coughs> so there are also links to several charities that we've adopted on the show, including USA
2: Cares, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. Okay, what do we have for next week, Ben? So next Sunday on November 17th, we'll welcome our old friend uh, Kathleen Martin, Chief Abduction Researcher for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, uh, for a discussion about what happens when people are abducted and what they can do about it.
1: That should be interesting. Yes. Um, We leave you this afternoon with a thought from the 20th century Jamaican journalist and black nationalist leader Marcus Garvey. A people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. Mm-hmm. I'm.
2: That's a. It's very interesting. Very
1: interesting. Uh, yes, it, it was an interesting person. You know, he he uh, passed in 1940, so I mean he's not. It wasn't that recent. Mm-hmm. So, um. But the Jamaican uh, uh, Pan African nationalist, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm Paul Eno.
2: And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal.
0: Return to this radio frequency 167
1: hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal.